Hey, what's up? How are you? Welcome to Hello Hilltop, SMU's podcast by students for students. Today, I'm really excited for you guys to meet my guest today. She's a professor here at SMU since 2015. She's in the Applied Physiology and Wellness Department, otherwise known as Applied Physiology and Sports Management. She's an avid golfer. She served in the armed forces. Everyone give it up for Professor Robinson Doyle. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So she began uh, teaching here at SMU in 2015, but I kind of want to ask her about her, like her life and see where she got here. So Professor, can you tell us a little about yourself, where you started, and then how you got here? Yeah, absolutely. So I, first of all, um, it's actually kind of, uh, it's actually kind of interesting. So I'll just kind of give you the quick rundown um, because it's, I think most students don't really, they're kind of, you know, I think I needed this as an undergrad um, coming into to a university. I honestly didn't think I was smart enough to go to college when I came out of high school. Um, I just thought college wasn't going to be for me because I'm a first-gen college student in my family. And so that was something where I had no guidance on and no um, kind of thought process of what college would look like for me. So what I ended up doing is I ended up dancing around a little bit uh, at the JUCO level. Um, and then at that point, I got picked up for college soccer at Texas Wesleyan University, uh, which was super cool. It was a great opportunity and a great experience. Um, and then from there, I transferred to TCU. So I, I graduated my undergrad at TCU. Um, kind of fun, uh, kind of fun fact that I like to tell a lot of people. I actually don't like to tell a whole lot of people, to be honest with you, but I was the mascot at TCU. Really? So that was super fun. Um, so I was the Horn Frog. I am, was known as Super Frog, and we'll kind of leave it at that. I actually <laughs> went on to, to graduate school at TCU um, in exercise physiology. So from there, I left and decided that I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, I was noticing when I was working with athletes in the athletics department that a lot of athletes were struggling to connect, you know, outside of their sport into world, right? So they were struggling with life's, life's issues and all that kind of stuff. You know, they were just dealing with some struggles of not just sport, but coaches were thinking that they needed to be robots. They needed to go to class, make the grades so you could be on the sport, like so you could basically be on the field uh, or the court. And so that became very frustrating. So then I went on and got my master's degree um, in counseling. And so I became, um, I did all my licensure stuff for counseling, uh, worked at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, and from there, uh, in the mental health center for student athletes or actually for student bodies. So I did a lot of drug alcohol counseling. Um, I did a lot of, um, you know, just working with, um, you know, students who were really struggling with the stress and anxiety of what university was for them, especially out of the engineering school and out of the school of business. And so, um, you know, and that was a great opportunity for me. I really, I really did enjoy it. And then I got put at an outpatient federal facility for women. Um, and so I coach, I actually counseled a lot of, um, women who had federal cases on them. Uh, they were drug addicts. Uh, they were ones that were, um, usually every one of them had CPS cases for their kids. And so it was a great opportunity. I matured pretty quickly as a counselor. Uh, it was at that point I had my, you know, obviously had all my background in exercise science. And then I had my background in counseling and that then I ended up going to Fort hood. Uh, and then I ended up meeting with the three-star general there, um, at the time. And so he, he and I ended up talking. And, uh, at that point I applied for a post um, a postgraduate fellowship through um, the Department of Defense. And so it was through um, a graduate level research job. And so I was picked up through the Department of Defense um, out of the Pentagon. Uh, and then also it was a dual appointment for research out of the Department of Energy. And so it was a dual appointment. It was a great opportunity because it allowed me to be with part of the military for five years, embedded with our soldiers. Uh, and so my job at the time was to oversee 
uh, and to implement a program uh, that was non-existent really. And so we kind of put it into place. We wanted to make sure that soldiers, what we were finding is because my background in exercise science and because my background in counseling, we're finding that a lot of soldiers, number one, we were highly levels of high levels of deployment at the time. So we were going in the we we're in the war of Afghanistan and we we're coming out of the uh, out of the issues of Iraq. And so we're coming out of Iraq, entering Afghanistan, doing a lot of issues with that in terms of high activation of deployment, uh, high activation of soldiers coming into the military for the first time right out of high school. Uh, and so at that point, we ended up. Um, implementing a lot of we realized that a lot of soldiers that were coming in the military were not sustainable or suitable for deployment and so at that point that's when i stepped in um that was my mission and my task is through my graduate for my for my it was a contractor's position at the time that wasn't going to allow me to travel with the military um so i was out of the pentagon i was actually implemented and put into the location at fort hood texas and so it was great i was back in texas and so i worked the reason why I was in Texas is because Fort Hood is the largest base um, uh, that we have here in the country. Uh, and then I was also, it's actually, it's it's associated with three Corps. And so for those of you, probably yourself, that maybe you might be familiar with it, but three Corps. So just right outside the Pentagon, you have one, you have two Corps, three Corps. So three Corps is right next to the Pentagon in terms of um, level of communication. And right. so I was put at three Corps at Fort Hood and worked directly with our soldiers in Afghanistan and also are deploying officers or so deploying command team which is our uh three-star four-star generals that were de- that were deploying so i had two key objectives there number one is get our soldiers trained and fit ready to go for war uh, make sure that they are sustainable in terms of combat readiness and fitness regimens and make sure that whenever they leave fort hood or leave our military so what ended up happening is uh, whenever they leave our military uh, out, outside of garrison or at home rather if you will for the united states and we deploy are they ready uh, and so we kind of looked at um, implementation programs. And so one of them was called operational fitness that I developed. And so with that, I had a team of soldiers that were assigned to me. And so we uh, what was nice is that we didn't have to travel across the country. All the soldiers from across the country traveled to us. And so we at Fort Hood, we would go out on tank trails. Uh, we would go out into the field with these soldiers and we would work on combat readiness, um, getting them physically fit and trained uh, for war, whether that be scaling a wall with a weapon, uh, whether that be uh, low crawling, fully armored and fully equipped, um, and then coming up out of low trench areas to get an up and over a tank, up and over whatever, breaking down, whatever the, whatever the skill set was that was needed in an austere environment. Uh, that was my number one job. My secondary job is to take care of those soldiers when we come back. Uh, so when we come back from war is uh, we had a lot of soldiers when whenever you deploy soldiers to or fresh out of high school, primarily, um, or unequipped for a war themselves, we have a resiliency issue. And so with that, we were able to get those soldiers deployed. They get over there and they see a lot of nasty stuff that they probably shouldn't see ever in life. And so they ended up in- encountering a lot of death and a lot of trauma. Uh, both uh, moral injury, but then also physical injury. So they come back um, to, the, to the United States and we implement them back. We reintegrate them to our nation, right? So at that point, um, that's my secondary job to step in for the public health command. So I worked out of public health. Um, this was directly out of the Pentagon again. And uh, we helped with resilience. So reintegration programs, suicide prevention programs, uh, and then also how do we get our soldiers equipped to, re- to basically come back to their families and reestablish those bonds with both their kids and their spouses. Um, and so because suicide rate was very high, depression was very high. 
and so you have a lot of, you know, whenever you're not, and we help them process that information that they, that they experienced while they were downrange. At that point, um, after five years, whenever you have a transition of the military, um, especially the commander that I was under, um, General Milley, Mark Milley, he is now the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He's actually the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff out of the military. Um, and so he is the highest ranking officer in our military. He was my direct command, my direct wow. boss. And so at that point, um, we ended up, uh, he ended up transitioning to the Pentagon and working directly with the, you know, the, with the president. Mm. Um, and so directly working with um, the president at that point. And so at that point, it was my time to also shift away. And that's when I went on to get um, pursue my PhD in population health. And so um, just to continue to work. I say all that, students nine times out of 10 ask me, what are you doing at SMU? And that's a great question. I mean, it really, really is. I think it's, you know, I think it's a God thing. Um, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in, in Christ. And so for me, I think that it was an opportunity to take my experiences and work with local nonprofits and what, whatever that looks like, continue to serve. I love the Bush Center and their Wounded Warrior or their Warrior Projects and their leadership um, kind of initiatives that they have out of the, the Bush Center. Um, but then also to, to be able to impart some of my knowledge on to students. And so um, it's a very roundabout way. It's not a traditional way, um, but there is nothing about me uh, in my entire life that has ever been traditional. So it has got me here whether or not, you know, um, what other opportunities it's going to open up. Um, if a student can take a bit of my knowledge and go forward with that, uh, just even if it's a coolness factor, I don't care. Um, but it's just, it's more so, it's just these opportunities allow us to teach you guys better. And mm-hmm. so for me, that's all it serves. This is a way to, as a platform uh, for you guys to learn, um, especially with biomechanics, the class that I have to teach, um, that I'm actually honored to teach. And then also communication. I also teach communication and sport. Um, and so uh, it helps me tremendously kind of reach those uh, no communication values behind adequate communication, both interpersonal relationships, but then also military relationships. So, yeah, I mean, it's a weird way I got here, but I love it. I love that. Um, so there's a lot we can jump off from there. Um, I love to talk yeah. to you about mental health because you started in the council role and then you saw it in the military side. And yeah. now you see it with students. And even in like 2020, there's been all these studies showing that depression rates have skyrocketed, suicides are up. And from your own experiences, how have you seen the trends move? How do you see we can get over that? And then what are your biggest ways for people to actively help combat depression in their own life? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it's so interesting because whenever you're at the military, um, depression is handled so differently, right? Um, no matter what, whether you're in the military in your everyday life, whether you're a student, whether you're a parent, um, or whether you're a soldier, um, or whether you're a, 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 a spouse of a soldier, um, depression has always seemed to have somewhat of a stigma. Um, and there's also an issue with, I don't want to own that I have, that I'm struggling with this because number one, does that mean that I'm weak? Uh, and so, especially whenever you start looking at, um, you know, students today, I experience, I mean, I end up counseling a whole lot of, you know, just really not really truly counseling, but working one-on-one with students on some major issues in my office. And so depression is commonly one of them. Um, and really what's something that kind of marries to depression is anxiety, right? So it's kind of this spiral effect that ends up happening. 
it, it, no matter what, it's it's a feel of we are not in control. And so with this whole, even with COVID, um, you know, if you go to COVID, you have a major out of control kind of no one really has their hands on it. Um, we are we are very respond like reactive in terms of our in terms of our responses. Um, we look at we look to people who we don't know to provide us with information that we should trust. And I know, I know that sounds a little um, that, that's that's the way it's always been. But currently in our political climate, uh, there seems to be a whole lot more mistrust or distrust within our higher levels of authority. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense. It's it's respectable as to why people think that way. Uh, and it's rational uh, for sure. But I think it goes to whenever you don't feel like you have a sense of control, then that then spirals into uh, lack of coping mechanisms. And so I think people don't necessarily have the, the, the safety nets in place of if something is out of my control, how do I then um, create a safe way to then process that information? Um, you know, and one thing I go back to is um, in our society today, and especially I, I experienced this big time in the military, is this concept, and Brene Brown puts it correct, um, which is an author and also a researcher out of the University of Houston. She says, you know, a lot of people think that vulnerability is weakness. So if I say that I'm struggling with something, does that mean to me I am sticking my neck out there? And that potentially means that the rest of the world is going to think that I'm weak if I own up to this. And so especially when we live in a climate where bullying is higher, uh, bullying across social media is something that's really common. And then people just commonly outs each other over over open platforms. Um, that creates a little bit more of an internal barrier that you have to create, that you have to climb in order to disclose information. And so that creates a greater barrier that you have to overcome to be vulnerable. Well, with that, that comes along with, if I can't afford to be vulnerable, then what I'm gonna naturally have to do is stuff, like stuff, stuff, stuff. So anything that's burdening me, anything that I'm struggling with, I have to continue to keep it in because if I let it out, it's too risky. So with that being said, I see that commonly in students. They don't feel, they don't feel like they have someone safe to trust. Um, and if they do, what will that you will that at some point in time be used against me? And in today's society, commonly it does, which is unfortunate. In the military, it was absolutely if I come out and say I'm struggling with depression and anxiety, if I'm struggling with the fact that I can't process all of it, all my information, the military is going to deem me as weak, and I could potentially have a demotion in my ranking. Wow. And that's a huge common issue. Um, and so people would commonly keep it capped there. Commonly, students keep it capped. Another thing, especially with student athletes, they commonly struggle with, um, I don't want to talk about that I'm struggling with depression and anxiety because the coach will then think I'm weak and therefore I might run the risk of losing my position on the field. And so I might go, you're looking at the differences between first string and second string. Yeah. First string has a higher, higher likelihood of playing after school. Second string, nine times out of 10, you don't. You have to go find and you're going to the workforce and that's also a concern. And then you fast forward, that's natural, right? That's a normal things that have never changed. Now you put that on COVID issues. So now you have students in the classroom working over Zoom. So our biggest thing, our biggest issue in society that I personally believe is that we lack connection. So even now that we're transitioning as students and professors operating over Zoom and then every other week you're in the classroom or you choose to fully go remote, you don't have the connection. You don't have even just someone consistent in your life who honestly cares. And I think that that, that definitely goes and it goes both ways. I mean, professors have a hard time connecting to students. Students have a hard time connecting to professors. And so you definitely see student GPA rates are dropping 
and I mean, just today I had an hour and a half conversation with one of my students who is absolutely suffering or struggling with the same issues that we are talking about right now. And their biggest issue is that I don't feel connected. I just struggle with feeling connected to my professors. I struggle with feeling connected to my coaches because we have now we're now in a world where barriers are what is normal putting a mask over my face so we can't even look at face inflections we can't read lips we uh you know you struggle to hear um and so now we always have barriers in place so you don't think depression anxiety rates are going to skyrocket you're crazy i mean it's just natural as human beings we live and sleep and we do everything off of human connection and that's important so that's why i think primarily is the reason why we struggle with that we don't feel safe. Vulnerability is considered weakness. There's a stereotype or a, there is a, you know, people have a certain look on people who struggle with mental illness, whatever that looks like. And then we don't have the connection. Yeah. There's a really good sound bites in there. So it's interesting that your, your PhD was in population and health. And that kind of seems very important today when you're looking at a COVID climate. So based on a lot of the research you've done, what is your kind of takeaway been of the last year and what this pandemic has looked like? And how do you see things kind of moving ahead? I mean, I love that you talked about the lack of connections and yeah. the barrier setup. So what else can you, can you further elaborate on that for us? Yeah, sure. So whenever you're looking at population health, you're looking at what's the health of the population. I know that sounds a little like kind of a duh moment there, but it's true. Um, whenever you're looking at global health, you're looking at the health of the globe, right? So population health, I look kind of primarily out of, I work primarily out of Taos, New Mexico, and then also in Dallas. I do quite a bit of work in Fort Worth as well. But so the Dallas, Fort Worth, Metroplex, and then Taos, because SMU has a campus in Taos. So with that being said, um, you know, I think whenever you're looking at COVID, COVID is such a weird thing. And the reason why is because we conceptually, we kind of have a really hard time navigating what it actually means. Um, Because you see people who can um, go to a party and no one gets sick. You see people who can go to dinner and everybody gets sick. Um, So it's very, it's a, it's an awkward thing. No one really knows. We can only go off of what our, um, what our city officials say, which is like, um, for Dallas, it's like Clay Jenkins, and it's everybody out of, out of Youth Southwestern, so Dr. Haley, and um, you have a really, you have some really good people um, that are implementing, um, you know, some really good standards and protocols for us. We have to trust that, mm-hmm. um, and the reason why is because if we don't, if we go rogue, then we're going to take the chance of to increasing increasing the likelihood of poor health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if that's the case, whenever you're looking at COVID. Um, things that I would recommend are the honestly the same thing. Wear a mask and protect yourself. Um, I don't have um, – whenever it comes down to, you know, um, I always err on the side of caution. Um, you know, I, I always look at, uh, you know, it, it kind of common sense. And I know that common sense can – some people, quite a few people uh, in today's society lacks it, it seems. Like it seems like they kind of use their – they make their own common sense up. Um But I think, you know, whenever you're looking at the future, one thing that's really, really positive that I see as a blessing that's come out of the COVID thing is if I were interacting with a student, everything up to this point would have been over email or, hey, meet me after class. We have made it so that this COVID thing has made it so that really online connection is no excuse, right? So you have an open platform of Zoom that and also FaceTime. So FaceTime was something that was, you know, people 
people used it, but it was a way that they randomly at once a month or once a week connected to their family in Michigan. I'm using it every day to connect to students that are just in the next building to me. And before we were never using it as a means to say, hey, no matter what, I'm still available for you. And so I think what we do, COVID has allowed us to shift our brain to think, to, to know that Although physical connection, which by the way, I know that we, this wasn't mentioned, but prior to me going into college, prior to me entering into undergrad, I went and became a licensed massage therapist because wow. I valued I valued the importance of touch. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that I always looked at. Human touch has the greatest impact yeah. on transferring positive energy. And, and so I just, I know how important it is. I know the science behind it. I'm an absolute advocate for touching um, in terms of patting someone on the back, putting your hand on their shoulder saying, I've got you. Um, I'm the quick professor that will hug a student and just tell them, you know, I'm quick to tell them how much I care about them because it means so much. Um, now that we're in a world that we don't have that, Virtual, the ability, the, the, the ability for an individual to virtually hug somebody has got to be something that we try to, to maximize that ability. And that's the only way that I think with COVID, if we can enhance what a virtual hug feels like and feel connected through a virtual world, I think we're not going to see as increases in those depression. We're going to see some reductions of anxiety. We're going to see reductions in some of the mental illness that go along with this. Um, even just things is like, you know, I think it just, in, I love the telehealth. I love how that has increased through COVID. We now can connect to our, our physicians and mental health experts over Zoom. Yeah. Um, those apps, the counseling apps that come forward through COVID. I think it honestly, COVID has given the opportunity for developers um, through internet and through uh, web development to step forward onto the surface here, onto the, the, to the edge here and actually jump off and say, hey, we have to be able to connect to you in all avenues outside of just personal touch. And so that's going to be the biggest, I think that's going to be the biggest test is do we have the ability to connect virtually through the feeling of kind of that interconnected true sense of touch. Um, And I think that's the, uh, the, uh, you know, and again, um, research does show that people who are over virtual worlds have the increased their likelihood of connecting and being vulnerable. And I think that's very interesting because naturally we would think, oh, whenever you're face to face, you have a higher likelihood of connecting mm-hmm. uh, or being vulnerable. And actually vulnerability, people kind of feel intimidated by the posture of someone, um, whatever that looks like for them or maybe that physical, like just being in the presence of someone can cause an intimidation factor. And so they've even found that you chat and then also over Zoom or over these telehealth or um, those counseling apps, you'll see a lot more vulnerability stepping forward. Um, and I think it's great. I think it's, I think it's a, we're in a, we're in a super cool, if we take it, that's the big thing. Yeah. We have to step into opportunity. Um, otherwise the door shuts and we're back where we are and we have an increase in, um, <laughs> increase in unhealthy behaviors and uh, increase in medication and you name it. Yeah. And everything that we, you know, I'll, and then as a side note, exercise. I'm a yeah. huge advocate for exercise. I have to promote exercise because I do half marathons myself. I love mm-hmm. running. I love playing golf. Um, anytime I can be out or outdoors in the sun, it's the best place to be. It really, really is. We're stepping into the winter months. Yeah. Um, and so the winter months are not going to promote as much sunlight, aren't going to promote as much 
vitamin D. Um, it's not going to promote all of these, you know, good nutrients that we need. And so with that, I think stepping into the virtual world, feeling those virtual touches, I think it's going to be so, so important. But exercise, you can't, boy, it's really, really hard to, it's really, really hard to overcome the benefits of exercise. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you, do you think physical wellness is on the decline in this country? And if so, do you think that has contributed to depression rates? Absolutely. So here's what's interesting about that. During COVID, um, physical activity skyrocketed Yeah. because people didn't have anything else to do. So going for a walk, um, uh, adoption rate for animals have gone up. So all these people, like especially, I mean, I know in most, this is like something that's been, they're like the clear the shelters uh, had no issues this year. Yeah. Um, people were adopting animals like crazy. Now people are going back to work, transitioning back to work. That's obviously starting to decline. Um, back to normal, back to its mm-hmm. usual level, if you will. But I do think so. I do. I mean, yes, COVID has absolutely increased physical activity for sure. Um, but also, so you see those people who say I gained a COVID-15. So they like mm-hmm. stopped working. They were better their, their computer, um, uh, you know, but I think COVID also allowed for breaks within your day. It allowed for you to take a lunch and get some, get out of your house. Um, and it allowed you to get those walks in, which is fantastic. Um, it doesn't have to be rigorous kind of, you know, exercise, uh, just moving your body. 10,000 steps a day has been shown to absolutely increase, um, the differences between, um, healthy, healthy lifestyles, even eating habits make a huge difference. And, you know, people not sitting on your couch and just eating and looking at zoom and, um, being watchful, being mindful plays a huge role. So nutrition plays a huge role, physical activity plays a huge role. And you will absolutely see if you just do those two things. Yeah. You're going to, yeah, you're going to see some health, you know, some healthy benefits. Um, but you can't escape the fact that if aside that, if there are still some issues going on interpersonally, um, struggling with, you know, struggling, whether it be anxiety, depression, loneliness, um, you know, just, you know, what are that? A lot of people are experiencing, it's pretty common to feel experience like an anger mm-hmm. symptom. And, and it's just, just due to the lack of control. We lived in a society where we're so used to controlling everything. And now within COVID, everything became out of our control. And so that can cause some, some frustrations that are, and so I think having a safe person to, or a safe group of people or a safe friend or a small group or whatever that is to process that information, that's huge. So absolutely, physical activity, nutrition plays a huge role in uh, mental health and also physical health for sure. Perfect. So I just want to end with this. Are you an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to the future? Like through your own experiences, your worldview, how do you see us transitioning in the next couple years? Well, oh man, you could take this any way you want. Um, I'm also like, I have to operate on optimism. I have to, uh, if not, if you don't have a hope for the future, um, you know, I think I, you know, I, like I said, it, it, no matter what, at the end of the day, personally, um, I believe, um, like I am very, my mindset is set on something, a power higher than myself. Yeah. Um, and I believe that if you step in towards your passion, if you pursue your destiny, you can only look through optimism. Um, pessimism, that means that you're, it's kind of like a hopelessness. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a, it's a terrible feeling. And I know that some people kind of struggle that you can say you can choose your feeling for sure. Um, but if that's the case, then I'm choosing to be optimist because I need to know that we, we are heading in the right direction. I have to have hope for um People who need help will get help. People who need, um, you know, healthcare will get healthcare. People who need love will receive it. People who 
need um, financial support will get it. People who need whatever it is, we will always be there for each other. Um, I think it's whenever we stop leaning on each other to support each other is when we go pessimistic. But if we can continue to find hope, if we can continue to find the goodness in people, I think the only way that we could view the rest of the world in our future is, is optimistic because we have the ability to change it. And if you look at it pessimistically, then that means that you're not willing to do the action that it takes to change it. And I think that that's the only way you can. I mean, pe- optimism is saying I'm willing to take responsibility and make a difference. Nice. Yeah, if there's, yeah. One, if there's one thing we really focused on today that I think people should take away from this podcast was find hope, find those connections, yeah. and be a human. Absolutely. Well, there you guys have it. Thank you, Professor, for giving us your time. Um, I know it's really busy right now, but I really appreciate it. Um, right now, I want to give the professor this time to like plug whatever she wants. The floor is yours. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I first and foremost want to thank you guys for listening. Um, I know, and especially in a world of virtual kind of, you know, everything hitting you, the last thing you want to do is put something else in your ear. Um, so thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Um, and then also, I, I can't help but plug, um, for any of you out there that are listening, to goodness, for any of you that are listening and you actually want to talk to someone, um, feel free to reach out to me. You know, feel free to, to contact me. I don't mind talking to anybody. Um, I work with people from mathematics department to um, Perkins. It doesn't make a difference. Um, so anything that, uh, if you just want somebody unbiased that you just kind of want to run something by, um, absolutely, feel free to reach out to me. Also, I teach a nutrition class in Taos. And um, it's over food insecurity. It's over um, our issues with uh, poverty and um, kind of some issues within the Native Americans that we face, but then also food sovereignty. How do we protect our food? Um, and then also, how do we help those who are, who are less fortunate? And so I teach a class, uh, nutrition in, uh, in, in Taos, um, through SMU in Taos. And so I teach that in January, May, or August. And so just be looking for it. And then I always, always, always have to plug um, the Applied Physiology Sport Management Program. I can't tell you how good that is. Uh, professors, um, I've never met a group of professors and colleagues that uh, don't that care more about their students than, than we do. Um, you know, I'm currently, I currently work in, like under the concentration of sport performance leadership. It's all about developing students as leaders, uh, being executive coaches, being performance coaches, uh, athletic directors, you name it. So if you look at this, Grabbing some leadership concepts, some, communica- some communication concepts. I know we got a communications department that's amazing, absolutely amazing. But the Applied Physiology Sport Management Program is really, it's truly, truly, truly sets itself apart from the rest of SMU. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and thank you guys for the listeners. Um, we're looking forward to the next episode of Hello Hilltop. Well, actually, Robinson Doyle. We'll put all that information below. Um, we hope to see you guys soon on the next episode. Thank you, guys. Yeah.